0: Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Amber Carroll, and I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd like to say welcome and good morning. Um, yeah, I was actually supposed to preach today, but thanks, Sean, for that. That was good. No, no it actually it, it comes from a place of um, authenticity because this is us, this idea of community, it is what burdens us as your pastors, because it's an area that we see um, a lot of pain and a lot of isolation in, in community, because people, for whatever reason, we as human beings have a hard time in this day and age connecting. And so I wanted to spend some time today. First, if you are new or you've been here for the first time, I, want you, I don't want you to sit here and feel like you missed out on a whole bunch of, of information and, and what we've been talking about so briefly, want to recap a little bit. If you are curious about the last messages that we've shared, you can always subscribe to our podcast, or we also do Facebook Live, so you can go back and watch the whole um, uh, morning. You can go back on our Facebook page and do that. But um, uh, last week uh, we talked about vulnerability and um, looked at some of the realities of the world that we're living in, that our culture is um, the, that we that we swim in as. As the church but also just in in the world where we live right now 2019 we live in a, in a scarcity culture a culture that says there's not enough there's not enough time there's not enough resources you are not enough you're not good enough you're not pretty enough you're not strong enough all of the not enoughness right and and uh, we we react to that with feelings of shame and comparison. And we tend to overfunction and try to be things we're not in an effort to fit in and uh, conform. And then the 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 remedy that we were kind of faced with is like this this world we're in and this rat race and what we're kind of stuck in. It's not good enough, right? God sent Jesus into the world to live with us and among us and to show us how to live a full, abundant life. And the life of Jesus looks very different than a lot of the lives we're living. Amen? And how do we fix that? And, and the truth is, we can't fix it. Jesus fixed it. God said, Jesus, he came, he showed us how to live. He paid, his, uh, he paid the price of our sins and all of the ways in which we mess up on the cross so that we have eternal life with him and, and seated with him in the heavenly realms one day when this life is over. But what we have now is that Jesus came and he said, I'm going to bring the kingdom, and the kingdom is now with you. It's not an after you die, it's a here and now. So how do we live in the kingdom, in a full, abundant life, today, now, as the church? And last week I talked about um, this quote about how do we change culture? And um, it said that social change, like if you want to change the society, it's a million acts of kindness. But to change a culture, it's a million subversive acts of resistance. And that is what made the church so compelling and so powerful because the church said, we're going to live differently than in the world. And the way that we live differently, it's going to be subversive. And it's going to have to be like you're running um, down and up escalator when everyone's looking at you weird. And we talked about church culture supposed to be a little weird, right? We do things that are different, but we're supposed to. We're called for something different. We're called for something better. And we have hope and we have purpose and we have faith that we can have a better full life because of what Jesus promised. And so as we were uh, talking last week and we left, I talked about vulnerability and ways to combat this um, idea of like, Uh, We have a hard time coming and belonging because we're trying to fit in. And and the way to combat that is to just be vulnerable with people. And so we said, here's a mantra to to say. Um, When you come into a space, into a group of people, don't shrink, don't puff up, stand your sacred ground, and let yourself be seen. Now, I asked you to try that. Um, Anyone, should you show a hand? Anyone try it this week? You tell yourself, like, when you walk into a space, don't shrink, don't puff up. Okay? Um, I've been trying this, um, telling myself when I walk into areas. And, and, and so even in, like, the stands and the bleachers at our kids' football games, being present, letting ourselves be seen, asking questions at dinner parties, at conferences, like, how do you just show up in a space and let yourself be seen and ask questions. And one of the most um, shocking revelations that I've had really over the last month, because when you prep for a message series and you do a lot of research, and one of the common statements that I heard, which is uh, shocking, and it's, I've heard this statement from people that I know follow Jesus and people who I'm not sure follow Jesus and from people who I know don't follow Jesus. The common statement is, Hey, how are things going? And the response is, ah, just hanging on. Barely hanging on. We're, you know, we're making it. It's like everywhere, and I, I hear that, and I have to ask myself, what is it? Why are we just hanging on? And I think the answer is that we have lost sight of what it means to be an authentic community of believers who say, I see you, you can come to me, we can process life, and you don't have to carry this all on your own. We walk around in isolation and loneliness thinking we're the only ones feeling this or we're afraid to, to share really what's going on in our homes because you might think I'm a bad mom or a bad parent or the fact that I yelled at my child while doing her hair on Saturday and made her cry um, that I'm this like, horrible mom and she's 13, it's not my fault. Okay? <laughs> did I just confess? I did. Um, but we, providing spaces, a place where we can come and belong and laugh and do life together, bringing joy into the world, that is what this is supposed to be. And so that is our heartbeat and what we want to do. And it's just going to take work. In our culture of we want it now and instant gratification, we've become lazy about putting the work in and building relationships of sticking with it for the long haul. I follow a pastor who leads the Tampa Underground. Um, I've listened to a lot of his teaching, and and, um, he said that in the church, for a church to truly be an authentic community, the need to extend grace has to exist. I'm going to say that again. For a church community to actually be the church, there has to have been an opportunity for grace to be extended to one another. If that doesn't occur, it is just a social club. And I've been thinking about that. I think how often when something happens between a person, between two people, a relationship is stressed, someone makes someone mad, and the need to extend grace or forgiveness is there. And I have to forgive you for making me uncomfortable or making me feel awkward. And I have to Just be the one, the bigger person. Until we work through that and come out on the other side and build that relationship, that's when the church becomes the church. If we walk away and we refuse to interact and build on those relationships, we're no different than any other social club, any other rotary club, any other you name it club. So that's what we're going to do here today. This, it's awkward and it's messy and if you're in it for the long haul, it'll be so worth it in the end. But we got to work on it. So this morning, we are going to uh, work a little bit on this idea of loneliness. And you are here today if you came by yourself. Um, you, I pray that you don't feel lonely. Sometimes we can sit in a room with a whole group of people and not be alone, but feel, feel lonely. And so... We're going to spend some time on that, and you are actually going to do some heavy lifting. I know you're excited about this, um, but first things before we get into that, I want us to um, think about some things that have been created in the past or marketed as good, but turn out to be harmful. So let's uh, nostalgia, like so, if you've. Um, Think of like your childhood, like go back to when you were younger, when you were growing up, like in adolescence, when you were learning. Um, and think of the world you were in. What are some things in uh, in your life? Things you used to do, things we used to believe as a people, as a community, that were good, but actually turned out to be harmful. So before, don't don't go to that next next slide there. So these are like some example of things we used to do or uh, things we used to buy, or things we used to believe. So it used to be okay to sit in the back of the station wagon without seat belts, and like, wave out the window, and like run all around the car, right? But we, we used to drive around like that without, right? And that was okay until we learned, like, actually, you die in a car accident if you don't have seatbelts properly, airbagged and all that, right? Um, we used to think that um, high-water stonewashed jeans are okay, and they're not. Um so we know this now. Not good. Not good. Um the benches in the front seat of the car and you would just kind of sit in the middle and the mom would use the arm as your seatbelt, right? Okay? So for just a few minutes I'm going to invite you into this uh space of nostalgia and I want you to find someone, one or two or three people around you and I want you to think back of the things in your life that you used to do or believe or things you used to eat or places you used to go. And um, that we're okay and actually celebrated. And we're just going to spend a few minutes together in this space, talking to one another and sharing those. And so if you would, find a person or two next to you and just reflect on the past. Okay All right, well would anyone anyone care to share We'll just take a couple think about a minute or so. Anyone care to share a revelation of something that you you can't believe you used to do used to think was okay. Anyone want to share in their conversation? Oh. Held, just held the baby in the car seat, just held them, no car seat. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't lock our houses. We didn't lock our houses. What else? We used to tell each other's national We used to poke fun at each other's national backgrounds. What'd you say? Oh, particularly Polacks, <laughs> blonde jokes. That's good. What else? Oh, used to get left in the car with it running. Can't do that anymore. What else? Yes. My. <laughs> Macerichrome, yes. Okay, yep. What else? <laughs> Cooked in bacon grease. My my pipa, my uh my my mom's parents are from LA, Alabama, from the South, and my peepaw told us one time he was starting to eat really healthy, and instead of bacon fat, bacon grease, he was going to straight Crisco. <laughs> True story. Started cooking eggs in it. I'm like, go back to the bacon fat, okay? What else? Anything else? Yeah, no, car, no, no car seats for any babies, kids, anything else? Anything else? Tanning with baby oil, iodine, on the roof with a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of bacon, yeah. you right so son yeah riding in the back of the truck yes on the edge of the like seat just hold on right yeah what about my my i heard that a someone would pick us up with the cooler the beer in the back of the truck and just like reach over and like pop it and drink yeah who else oh yes Oh, riding bikes without helmets. Yeah. Anyone remember Olean, fat-free potato chips? We marketed that like crazy. Oh, you can have potato chips fried. And guess what we learned? Anal leakage. Yeah, for real. Do you remember that? Google, <laughs> this is taking longer than I'm supposed to. Um, Google, Google fat-free potato chips, and people really um, let you know what they thought about that. Um, we had a 7-Up for Babies. There was this whole campaign about like 7-Up for Babies. Like, it was good. We know now that, like, uh, that's a terrible idea, right? Like, sugar causes obesity and shortens the life of people, so not good. Um, Lead paint, right? We used to paint things and kids and nursery and toys with lead paint. In fact, the effects of lead poisoning were actually known um, before it was banned from the market in 1977. And someone uh, by the name of Jack Lewis published an article in the EPA Journal in 1985, and he said, and I, um, he said that the Romans were even aware, like, the Romans were aware that lead would cause, like, serious health problems, like seizures, madness, even death, um, but they were so fond of its diverse uses that uh, they minimized the hazards of it posted, and um, just so that they could have limited exposure and then limited risk. But knowing that it would hurt us, we'd still use it and put it out there. I mean, we would never do that today, right? Um, FenFen, remember we had this weight loss drug called FenFen um, to lose weight, and, and uh, that caused like serious heart problems. Um, cigarettes, I mean, we used to say this is pfft, great stuff, right? Evidence, good, good smoking. And then we learned unfiltered cigarettes. I mean, some of us in this room still smoke, and it's a, a hard habit I know to break. Um, but we learned, right, that smoking actually causes cancer and um, disease, and it's not good for us. And then we were like, well, for me personally, it's just my own problem, and I'll just, you don't need to worry about it. But then we learned that secondhand smoke is equally as harmful. So we learn and we grow as a human race, right? And, and things that we think are good, we start out going, okay, this is great. And oftentimes, it's when we can see the physical, uh, the physical ramifications of a choice that we make. So a lot of the things we talked about have to do with like what happens physically when we get hurt by this. So then we came out with vaping. This is very new, right? This is a big deal, Oh, it's vapor. It's not going to matter, right? And the juuling, um epidemic is actually causing death and lung uh, problems and disease. A girl was put on like medically induced coma um, to help her come out and recover. So the truth is that we are um, constantly finding new discoveries and new ways to make life better, and we're also learning that sometimes those inventions are tough. I'm going to wait on that one. Uh, Susan, if you want to wait on that. So I would like for us to spend a few minutes, and I want to talk about technology. Um, now, can you just tell me some great uses of technology? Just shout it out. Why is technology good? Medicine, what else? Education, communication, Google Maps, yeah. Connection with the broader church. Knowing where our life 360, knowing where our kids are, we can. No long-distance telephone bills. We are now connected. We are more connected today than we ever have been, right? Right? Technology has allowed us to be more efficient and more productive than ever. And we talk about this all the time. We know the good that can come from that. But we also know, and we're also learning, that technology also has a dark side. We know that engagement with social media and our phones, being on our cell phones, produces a chemical, releases a chemical in our brain called dopamine. Dopamine. That's why like when you get a text from someone or a notification pops up or something, it feels good. Uh, dopamine is the same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke or when we drink or when we gamble it's a highly addictive feeling. We have restrictions on um, on those substances right age restrictions on smoking and gambling and on alcohol, and we have rules against illegal drugs, but there are no age restrictions when it comes to technology or cell phone usage, right? Like, it's open, it's just kind of available now. Toddlers know how to swipe on iPads. I mean, this is, right? I mean, this is just a true statement. So I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at this thing that we think that was created for good but that has been potentially used is being used for bad and the danger in us not talking about this is because with technology and what it does with the dopamine in our brains is that we can't see what's happening it's not a physical manifestation Um, like if someone who is intoxicated or high or having lung disease or anal leakage um, I said that twice today. I want to point to a, a study by a, a guy, actually he's a speaker, his name's Simon Sinek, Sinek and um, he did a talk on millennials and what's happening, how technology is basically destroying a generation. And uh, millennials get kind of a bad rap. And I want to just, I'm going to talk about some things here, but I also just want to say this. Um, I don't think anyone in this room is exempt from this research. Because for just a minute, if you have a phone or a mobile device, would you grab it and I want you to hold it up. If you have it with you today, how many of you looked at it to see if you mixed the text? Just, no, Okay. Um, this right here affects every single one of us. So when we look at research that's done for kids and what's growing up with what's happening in this Gen Z or I generation, um, yeah, it's for this age group, but it's also for us too. So if you have one of these, what I'm about to talk about, this is for you as well, all right? When we look at the effects of what this does to us, right, and that the levels of dopamine in our brain increase. It What, he, what Simon Sinek said here, he said, the, it's the equivalent of opening up a liquor cabinet to our teenagers and saying, hey, by the way, this adolescence thing, this life thing you're going through is really tough, so just have at it. No regulations. We would never do that. We would never open up a liquor cabinet to an underage kid, we would never go there to numb our own problems and struggles in life. But we have an entire generation, we have all of us who are now easily accessible to this thing that's highly addictive and helping us numb and retreat from people and isolate ourselves. So why is this important? Well, almost every alcoholic discovered alcohol when they were a teenager when they were young, when their approval in their home before adolescence was just really needing approval from their parents. And then when we get into adolescence and we begin growing up, we need approval from our friends. And it used to be that we would go and we'd hang out with our friends and go on dates and play and get into a bunch of trouble and ride in the back of trucks and and not wear seatbelts. But less and less kids are hanging out and going out because they have a way to connect digitally and on their own. This highly stressful, highly anxious time in their lives is being managed unsupervised without any restrictions, all on their phone on their own. And what happens is um, some people um, will become so addicted to it that they will numb by it, and many of us do this, um, and it becomes hardwired in our brains for the rest of our lives We have stress, we have the inability to know how to even connect with people outside of that space because our go-to is to go to our phones. So one of the, I want to put up now, you can put up that quote that Simon Sinek said. He said, what's happening is um, we're allowing unfettered access to these dopamine-producing devices and media. Basically, it's becoming hardwired. And what we're seeing is as they grow older, many kids don't know how to form deep, meaningful relationships. Their words, not mine. They will admit that many of their friendships are superficial. They will admit that their friends, that they don't count on their friends. They don't rely on their friends. They have fun with their friends, but they also know that their friends will cancel out them when something better comes along, cancel on them. Deep, meaningful relationships are not there because they never practice the skill set. And worse, they don't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress. When you hear that, does that do anything inside of you as an adult in this room? We open up our garage, we pull out of our driveway, we go to work, we deal with people at work, we come home, we shut the garage door, and we've become isolated and alone and apart from everyone else. There's data and there's study and there's research out there to prove that we have we have turned to our social media. We've turned to numbing through Netflix binge watching, through Pinterest, through social media as just a way to uh, make ourselves like feel better without learning how to connect with other people. I don't know if you have Facebook. There was an article on there. Uh, this guy, his name was Eric Pickersgill, and he did a project called Removed. And uh, he said this, and I've I've got some pictures up, and I didn't. I'm not going to do the statistics one, but it's the images at the end. Um, he said the joining of people and devices has been rapid and unalterable. The application of the personal device in daily life has made tasks less time has made tasks take less time. Far away, people and places feel closer than ever before. Despite the obvious benefits, these advances in technology have contributed to society. The social and physical implications are slowly revealing themselves. He took pictures of people and he removed the cell phone from their hand to just show situations that we put ourselves in daily. And as you look at these photos, you can see they're next to each other, they're connecting on couches, they're in boats, they're at the Grand Canyon, and they're not experiencing what's around them because they're on their phones. We are more disconnected than we've ever been, but connected. It's, it's, it's crazy how this happens. He said, photography transformed the way people experience lives. Personal devices are shifting behaviors while simultaneously blending into the landscape by taking form as being one with the body. And he talks about a phantom limb, like we don't even know what to do unless we have this in our hands. Think about the last time you were in a conversation or with your family around the dinner table. Are your phones present there? Think about the last time you were at work and you sat down in a meeting. Did you sit down with your phone out, up, ready to connect with someone else rather than the person you're with? You know, there was a creation that happened. God created the heavens and the earth. God created human. God created man, and he said it was what? It was good. It was good. He created man. It was good. And then... He realized man was alone and that was what? Was not good. So then what happened? He created woman. He said, I did this not so that we could be alone, but that we could have partnership and connection with another person. The Trinity himself is a three. Community, created for community. So it is very good when we are together. Then, what happened in the garden when God created man and woman to be together and not alone? Sin entered the world. And what did Satan do? He came in and he created separation, separation from God and his creation. And that is not good. And ever since then, evil has found a way to keep us separated from God, to keep us separated from one another through violence, through, uh, through pain, through hurt. If we think for a second that Satan is not going to use what's good in the world for evil, we got another thing coming. Technology, phone, all very good stuff could be great, but it's absolutely being used to separate us and divide us and keep us alone and isolated, and that is not the plan. So how do we do this? I mean, how do we help create, how do we do a million subversive acts of resistance in this world so that we can say, we are not going to be a place where people are alone, where people numb, where people feel isolated, even when they're right next to each other. It's going to take some work. Um, I love this this, uh, scripture in Ecclesiastes. It reads this. It says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, will they keep warm? But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Two are better than one. How do we live in this world and not of it? How do we use what we have that is good, that could be good, and how do, we, how do we create, like, subversive acts where you are with people but not give in to the, the temptation to, to withdraw or to hide or to numb? And so for just a few minutes, I want to ask you a couple questions. And I'm going to ask you to get back into those groups that you started with. And I want you to think for just a minute um, as we look at ways that we um, keep ourselves alone and isolated, how, what are some ways that you personally think about your phone and the way you use your phone with your friends or even technology? Um, what are some ways that you could act against the culture, against the grain, and lead the way so others can, can join in and not feel so alone? So let's just use our creative space here for just a few minutes and share some ideas. Maybe you've something you've read or discovered, maybe something you've been trying that's helped you connect with others. And so we're just gonna do that for two minutes. You find those people now. All right. All right. Anyone care to share with some, share with the room some ideas you've come up with? Keep your phone on silent. Designated.
1: Okay.
0: Designated. Designated. No phone time. Yeah. No phones at dinner table. Ooh, the first one to answer the call at dinner pays for dinner. I like that. What else? When you're in a room with people, don't have your phone out. Yeah. Huh? Be engaged. Yes. What else? Sock it up Sunday. Yeah. No phone. Put it away. Give space for creativity to happen. Yeah. That's good. What else? Actually remove the apps that are consuming your time. Yeah, just don't have them. That would be good. Back there? Say that again? Limits, yes, screen time limits. We can do that too, that's good. Shame people who are on their phone. Shame. Yeah. We don't, we don't have enough of that. So let's go ahead. Yeah. Is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary when you, we reply to on social media? Big, big, big. Yeah. Yes. You mean use the phone for your voice to talk to people and your ears and to listen. Use the phone as it was intended, right? To hear a, vo- a human voice and it, yeah. So that's a good a good use for it. That's really good. What else? FaceTime, so, yeah, yeah. He's making for why, it's good. why it's good, I think that's great, yeah, that's wonderful. Anything else? I think um, when we enter into spaces where we feel uncomfortable, I know that a lot of us, I know myself included, will grab the phone and check email or something, so I don't have to talk to anyone or connect. And I had the temptation to do that this past week. I was someplace, I'm not going to, that's not really that important, but I found myself like, okay, no, just be present and show up. And I found someone who I hadn't had a chance to connect with lately, and I asked questions. So I think this is a key thing. What What would it look like if you just started asking questions of people, even using your social media, your texting, your voice, your presence, to ask people how they're doing so they have a chance to be seen. And I asked this friend, how are you doing? And we had this really great conversation, and later on I got a text that said, hey, I, I just, um, just realized no one's asked me how I'm doing in a long time. And I just it's kind of stuck with me. I'm like, you know what? We can use it for good. Um, We can use it for good, but to ask people how they're doing, connect, show people that you care, that you want to know how they're doing. We can use it for really good stuff. I'm going to ask Eric to come up here, um, and he is an example of something that he has done recently um, to uh, social media and to connect in a really good way to pull someone out of isolation and loneliness. So I'm going to let you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Amber, hi. So um, as we talk about this idea of of isolation and loneliness and tying it to social media, um, the thought I had is that um, you never know uh, what other people are facing. And social media can mask it, but it can also reveal it. Sometimes people will share something online that they won't tell you in person. Um, So it's not all bad, right? But um, I have something I want to share with you um, about this. But as Amber's talking about being lonely or isolated, uh, and she talked about two being better than one, if if you are feeling stirred in your own journey of loneliness, social media, cell phone usage aside, the heart behind all this is if you're feeling lonely, we want you to know that There's hope for you. And in your loneliness or in your pain and your burdens, that you don't bear that alone. And you don't know what somebody else is facing in their journey. And as we walk as a church, sometimes um, we're so preoccupied that we don't notice those. So I just want to share with you a little bit. But I was um, uh, zipping through life, and you've heard me talk about my friend Ricky, who's in Atlanta. And a year ago, I had a message pop up on my Facebook from a college friend who knew Ricky. So we'll show a picture up here of Ricky. This is my friend Ricky who was in my dorm, and he and I became really good friends. This is his wife, Melissa. And a year ago in August, they discovered she has a brain tumor that's inoperable on her brain stem. And I went, when I found this out, um, on, the, on Facebook Messenger, and I never hardly checked that, but I saw it, and so I I felt really compelled to call Ricky. What's going on? And so I flew out to be with him because they have three kids. And this is a picture of Melissa um, five years ago, and um, I'm not going to show you a picture of her today because just this week Ricky called me um, four days ago and said, "Man, Eric, they're putting her on hospice, and we're t- stopping chemo. We're stopping radiation." because she can't eat, she can't speak, Um, she has a feeding tube, she can't swallow, she can nod her head and shake her head and and point, and that's all. And she is declining rapidly, and he is uh, drowning in the difficulty of how to manage that news and have three kids under the age of 14. Um, And so uh, I just wanted to share that with you and then give you just a few thoughts that go along with it. One is... Um, this thought. Number one, for us to think about, nobody knows what you're going through unless you share it. So my encouragement to you is share it with somebody. Find someone that you trust and share what you're feeling. It could be small, it could be huge, but if you don't share, nobody will know and nobody can be there to help you. Second thought is this, pay attention Pay attention, and that sometimes means pay attention when you're flipping through Instagram. Maybe stop and actually pay attention, right? Or students, if you got Snapchat, pay attention to what your friends are posting. They might be saying something that is crisis, and then be willing to stop and ask, Lord, what might they need as a lifeline? So ask the question, Lord, what might they need? Third thing is this. Sometimes our healing comes when we reach out in the middle of our loneliness to bear somebody else's burdens. So you might be carrying burdens on your own, and I'm a part of a Thursday night group that we started, and our Thursday nights we meet here, and um, the whole idea is to face our burdens, face our feelings, our brokenness, our loneliness, and it has been really difficult for me, to be honest, because I'm facing stuff that I've carried for a lot of years. And in that group, we've been able to say, okay, I'm feeling pretty crappy today, and here's why. and to bear one another's burdens. And um, so I encourage you that, if for me, it has helped me to be able to reach out to somebody else as I deal with my own loneliness. And I am, uh, the reason I'm telling you this is that today I'm actually flying out, because Ricky called. I'm going to fly out today, and I'll be back Friday. I'm going to go back to Atlanta to hang out with Ricky and just help him, just to be there. Because they brought Melissa home. She's in a hospital bed, and he is um, taking care of her with nurses And uh, his kids still need to go to school and and track and, I mean, cross country and all that stuff. So I'm going to just go and show up and be there. Um, My fourth point is this. Be willing to do what might feel or look cheesy or weird, right? It could be the Holy Spirit. There might be a thought of, hey, maybe I could do this and be like, no, that's super cheesy. I'm not going to do that, right? So maybe you do something dumb like buy a cantaloupe and take it to him or You know, give flowers to a guy. I don't know. It could be something super dumb and cheesy, um, but it could be the Holy Spirit. So pay attention and be willing to do it. And I felt compelled to go. And I had another idea, and I asked Amber if we could do this. What I'd like to do is um, take Hope Covenant Church with me to bless Ricky and his family. And this might be really cheesy, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. The ushers are in the back. We're going to hand out pieces of paper. And I'm going to give you a couple minutes to write a note to Ricky or Melissa or one of their three kids, Jade, Jared, or uh, Xavier. And um, I'm going to go with them, and I'd love to take a bunch of papers and say, man, my church is with you. You're not alone. We're praying for you, and you are loved by people that you've never met. Um, but So we're going to do something a little bit weird and cheesy before we're done today. So as they're passing that out, if you guys, if maybe we could have help, because people help get this out quick, and you should have pens, but um, take two or three of those, and there should be a slide with their names. There it is. Thank you. Um, Jared's 14. Jade is 11. She's a ballerina. Uh, Jared runs cross country, and, and now his hair is woven into dreadlocks, which is pretty cool, and, J- and Xavier is eight and is playing flag football. Um, Melissa is full-blooded Pueblo Indian, and Ricky is from Jamaica, so they are a family of, of great um, culture and, and diversity which is pretty cool so um, as you think about this um, it could well, here's what I like if you can go to the next slide uh, or whichever one here so no one before that it's, so just put three things right you say your name something about yourself like hey I'm, I'm Ken and Eric always calls me by the wrong name and I'm a paramedic and uh, you know love you praying for you whatever um, uh, and just write a word of encouragement, okay? So um, this is just a chance for us to be reaching out. So I just, I would love to take notes with me, and then when you're done, we'll put those in the offering basket um, as we finish today. So you could put the slide back that has the name, sure. Um, and let me read a Bible verse while you're doing this, but this is from 2 Corinthians, and it says this. Because we understand our fearful responsibility, we work really hard to love and persuade you. God knows that we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. If it seems that we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love compels us. So friends, our hope is that Christ's love would compel us. And as you're writing these simple notes, it can say, hey, we love you, we're praying for you, God bless you, whatever, whatever you feel led. Also be thinking about who might be in your life this week that needs another note of encouragement. Um, So I appreciate your willingness to do this, even if you don't know them. And if you don't want to, that's okay. Uh, But just take a minute to do that, and then we'll close our time together.